You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by MyBookie. MyBookie will match your first deposit by 50% all the way up to $1,000. Head to mybookie.ag and use promo code GATERS to activate the offer. Bet, win, get paid at mybookie. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. And joining me on this episode to preview the Florida State Seminoles is former Seminoles fullback James Coleman. You can find him on the radio here in Jacksonville as well on 1010XL and 92.5 on the sports end with his co-host, Denny Thompson. Uh, great insight there from those guys. Uh, but yeah, James will join me here on, on this episode uh, give a deep dive into the Florida State Seminoles with the coaching search and this year's team as well. So a lot of stuff to look forward to when talking to James about these Florida State Seminoles and the game coming up Saturday night between the Gators and the Seminoles. Before we get there, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes there as well as News 4 Jacks coverage of the Gators. Also, listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, all those avenues out there is how you can get Gators Breakdown when using those services. Go out there, please share, rate, and review the show. And on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. Also, don't forget a News 4 Jacks exclusive, Talking with Troop. Former Gators tight end Ben Troop joins me once a week this season on News for Jacks to give his thoughts on the Gators and now to be out uh, around the same time as this podcast as well. Uh, so you can go to news4jacks.com, catch that uh, news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown to catch uh, me and Ben Troop talking about senior day, senior night uh, for the Gators and uh, Ben Troop when he was a senior and his favorite Florida State memories as well. We'll talk about all of that on the next edition of Talking with Troop. Three-year starter at fullback for the Seminoles between 2002 and 2005 and co-host of the Sports Den on 1010XL and 92.5 here in Jacksonville. James Coleman joins me here on Gators Breakdown to give us a preview of these Florida State Seminoles. James, uh, it's been an eventful year for you, man. Oh, man. Uh, definitely uh, two years that I would – or 21 games that I'm going to forget, choose to forget. Um, after we actually move in a different direction. But this past season, I guess it's better than 2018, but still bad. 
Right, and before we get into the uh, the preview of the game, of course, uh, I'm sure a lot of Seminole fans feel the same way. The 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 attention seems to be more on the coaching shirts than the actual game. And us Gator fans have been there late in the season when a coaching search is going on. That's kind of the headline uh, right now. What the for what you could share? What's the latest on the coaching search uh, as we head into the uh, the last week in November, heading into this Florida game? I mean, right now, nobody. Nobody really knows what's going on. I mean, there's a lot of guys, um, or I guess me included earlier, uh, who who have very good sources, and either your source is burned or you don't really know what's going on. But, um, you know, there's obviously the rumors about Stoops, and the school continues to have a, he's going, we're going in that direction, we're not going in that direction, we're going in that direction relationship. And I know Florida fans have, have dealt with um, with Bob on this level as well, cold feet at the altar type thing. But a lot of the the names that are being thrown around are when you read the article, um, they make sense from a, as a standpoint that you would want that coach. Like a James Franklin, you would definitely want James Franklin. You would want Matt Campbell. You would want a um, P.J. Fleck. You would want Mike Norvell. But I think it's more of a of any of us saying, like, hey, we're grasping that straws because the search committee has done a pretty good job of, of uh, redirecting um, information. I made a, um, a bold uh, statement about a, a right, I guess going right right after the, um, or during the bye week that was a rookie mistake on my part. I'll never do that again. <laughs> but I still, um, by making, trying to make a prediction on a coach, which is the only thing more, more sketchy or or wider than a, they were trying to predict where 17 to 20, 17 to 19 year olds are going to attend four years is trying to figure out what what 50 year olds 50 40 to 50 year olds are going to do with multi-million dollar contracts so but um every fan is like when are we going to hire our coach when are we going to hire our coach when it really hasn't been that long um in the grand right. scheme of things um it just feels like it because you talk about it, it's constant updates on the uh, major sites and even mine, fifth quarter. Um, there are people who have ends or think they have ends, and they're constantly communicating and discussing it. When it could very well be the guy who's the head coach now. I think we should. I think we missed a great opportunity for PR where we should have just said it's an open search nationwide with Odell Hagens being one of the frontrunners, and he has a, a four-to-five-game a four interview where, or excuse me, three to four game interview where he could possibly win the job. Because if Odell, if if the sun aligns and the, and the stars and the moons and it's a perfect day and, and um, James Brightman's girlfriend, you know, wrote him a nice letter. Um, <laughs> um, Jordan, um, Jordan Trash's girlfriend broke up with him, like, in the worst possible way. Um, and he can't play well. And we and we come out and we perform at a high level to win. Odell should be considered. Odell that that would be one of the greatest turnarounds um, that I've seen to go three and zero when everything was indicating that you sh- that you might lose you should lose the Boston College. So that's kind of where we're at. Um, we're at um, big hopes, big aspirations, but the guy who we the guy who's always been there might be the best person. 
Well, you know, speaking of him, uh, Willie Taggart gets fired after the Miami game, and and Higgins takes over. What's been the the biggest change you've seen in the, in these last couple of games since he's become the uh, the interim head coach? Um, the biggest change is how things are run. Um, and it's it's easy to say it's for the better because you had you won two games, albeit HBCU and one of the worst defenses in the nation with Boston College that was hobbled with a backup quarterback and, you know, things like that, but you still won. But I will say the approach that they've taken in practice is is one that's more familiar to most people from the state of Florida. I'm a much more intense type of practice. I'm a Willie Tagger practice outside of the dancing is is filled with individual periods and, and, and half lines. And it's supposed to be a lot of teaching involved because of how up-tempo and how fast-paced that you want it to be, you want to make sure the guys understand it. Um, it's more of a hardball approach. and hard, The hardballs have more of an NFL approach. It's great when it works. When it doesn't work, it looks crazy. It looks bad. Odell only knows the Bowden way and some, and all, and some of the Jimbo Fisher way, where you are, you know, you have less individual periods, but it's more live action. So, like, more – so, like, when I was there at Florida State – the first, let's say your first actual true five periods of practice were um, individual and, like, individual pass throw, handoff, um, swing, swing screen game, things like that. And then you went to team inside drill. So you're simulating um, run game um, with the scout team to 7-on-7 seven seven to, to team 11-on-11 11 11 with the scout team. So then you go from there to seven on, I mean, team inside um, versus the defense. So now you're actually banging. Then you're banging on seven on seven. Then you're banging on eleven on eleven. And you're going, you're going, you're getting more live, active, more physical reps, which in theory produces a more physical football team. Um, again, that's a theory, but that's what it looks like. And Odell is is a is is a consummate uh, Florida State legend. He's on um, the OG. So players at least can adopt and, and respect that a little bit more than somebody who's from the outside. Like you know you know for a fact Odell will do nothing that hinders the program. Whereas it is only about the program based upon how he's done for years. Now we know with Tag, maybe not so much. The other side of it is this guy played in this uniform at a high level and was a part of the dynasty, was a part of building the dynasty. Excuse me. So it just comes different from Odell. And we all talk to Odell. So whereas guys felt like they couldn't come back with that, I personally never felt that way. Um, I always came back. I was in the back chilling in the meeting rooms and the coaching rooms with people. That's how I get a lot of information I get because I know everybody. Mm-hmm. But bottom line is, people felt like the rumor was that Tag didn't want guys to come back. So whether it's true or not, the perception is reality. But the one person that we've always all been able to call on the phone is Odell. So Odell bridges the gap. He, he, the kids respect it. And he's just like, if you've ever, I know it's tough because the rivalry and everything, but like somebody that, like, if you always do your, like, I respect Spurs. I like the, the, um, throwing the visor down and a lot of those stuff. I, um, there's some guys that I've gone and grown to know that I like. We're going to talk trash during this week, yeah. but I've grown to like it. 
Like Odell is the person if I was telling a, a a fan of another school, that's a guy that you really, really just like if you hate him, you're taking this rivalry just a little bit too soon. Like, he's a guy like when you talk to him, he's like talking to your dad. Like he's a father he's um he's a cool dude. Like he's just gonna cut it straight. Now granted, I say all that, but Odell really embodies the rivalry too. I've seen was J Rob, I think was one of the guys was one of the coaches up at this the O D B coach, right? That's up at with, with um with Champ in South Carolina. Yeah, James Robinson. Yeah. Yeah, so when they Tavares well, Robinson. T Rob, T Rob yeah. yeah, yeah. So when they first took that job, they were at the Nike Coach of the Year clinic. And this is the old Dell story. So I'm coming in and all I hear is James. And I'm looking, I'm like, that's not like Dale. And I didn't know Jimbo Fisher and they, the whole coaching staff was coming to speak. So Odell comes over, gives me this bear hug, cracks my spine and all that stuff. And we're chopping it up. We're having a catch-up conversation. Like, I ain't seen Dale in like three, four years. So I'm talking to my coach. T-Rob comes over there because he sees Odell and doesn't know the rivalry. He comes over and says, hey, what's up, coach? How you doing? And I promise you, he stopped, Odell stops talking to me, looks at him and says, why are you in the conversation? <laughs> and I'm like, he's like, man, you know, it's just a rivalry, you know, during the game, but the game good. He says, no. And then he walks away. Mind you, I don't, we're not, me and Odell are done talking. So Odell walked away from me and T-Rob. Like, like, I did something. And it's just, but he don't mean nothing by that. It was just, you know, in the spirit of competition. But, again, Odell is one of my favorite people, and he's somebody that you you want to cheer for whether you're a rival or not. All right, we'll run through the Seminoles team right quick and what's been going on this season. And of course, uh, Higgins uh, met with the media this week and didn't really want to spill too much on the quarterback situation. Uh, if you had to say, is it Blackman or Hornibrook? You, you brought up Blackman earlier. Uh, see the guy who's going to trot out there uh, for, for the Seminoles Saturday night? I believe it will be James Blackman. And the reason why I believe it will be James Blackman is because he he provides a threat that Hornybrook just doesn't provide. And if you go back and you look – and here's the the, 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 the the thing about a grant to defense is they're going to be aggressive and fast and he's got corners and safeties that can play man, that he believes you can't out-athlete him. So what I, what, what he's going to do is he's going to jam, he's going to press, he's not going to play off, and he's going to dare us to beat him deep. And that's what that's a, a weakness of Hornybrook. So if you look at the Miami film, Hornybrook was not able to get rid of the deep ball. There were time, And not even just the traditional deep ball where people think like a nine route where you just go where you mm-hmm. go four verts. I mean – Deep, um, deep slants or digs. Like there's a play in the Miami game where Cameron Terry is wide ass open with his waving his hand in the air like throw it to, him. and it's not a matter of if he saw him or not. I just believe Hornybrook doesn't have the arm strength to be able to zip it in there like he needs to be, and that's kind of one of his weaknesses. Now, if they play, if you play back on us, like Boise State, a lot of the other teams that we played that we like Virginia that we lost to. I think Alex Hornibrook would have probably been a better choice there because they feared that. So you can throw the check, you can throw the quicker route, the check down. Hornibrook's there all day for that. Where, but Blackman is better. That Blackman also 
isn't still isn't a great runner, but he's more willing to run than 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 Hornybrook. That being said, neither look really really good. Like, and that's why when people ask why I'm a, 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 such a critic of Brown, is his quarterback room doesn't look good. Um, again, in comparison, right to UF's quarterback room, Felipe Franks looked much improved. But when Franks went down, you actually looked like you improved with Trask. So that means there's some development going on. And then even when Emory goes in, it still looks good. Whereas when you see FSU quarterbacks, it's not just that they have different styles. They just look like completely, like, they're really bad at what they're bad at. Like, there's not even something where they've actually progressed. James Blackman's ability to throw deep is negated by his unwillingness to throw the check down. Like, and he's not gotten any better for an entire season. So it's like he doesn't have a quarterback coach. So, again, that comes down to um, coaching. But, again, keeping guys honest is really why I believe, because he can throw that ball deep, is why I believe Blackman is the better quarterback for this game. All right, of course, uh, the playmakers there, uh, Cam Akers, uh, Tamron Terry, uh, wide receiver, Akers at running back. And uh, even though the the struggles of this offense are are, are there, there's still two guys that can break the game open for the Seminoles. Yes. Um, Cam Akers is just – is is all of that. And the problem is when the offensive line is is, – what offensive line is going to show up? Yeah. But if you got if your yeah. defensive end gets upfield too much, he's got the ability to be able to see it. His second level vision isn't as good as like a Dalvin Cook, so that's why I wouldn't be overly worried. But he's good enough to be able to get you ten, uh, fifteen at a, at, a, at a time. It's about will Browse stick to the run and or will he incorporate? Argue not not arguably your best player on offense more into this game. And what about Terry, a receiver? I mean, it seems like every time I see him, he's breaking he's breaking some kind of big play. <laughs> yes, and again, it just comes back to, like I was saying, like, Batman has an ability to get some. Almost every quarterback has their favorite receiver. It just doesn't seem like Terry and Hornybrook were on the same page a lot. But when Blackman's there, Terry's very much so a part of the game. And but best believe that they're going to try to, like, it, I don't care how good, how much better Florida is as a team, I don't think you're that arrogant to not respect the fact that this is an NFL caliber player. So you got to make sure he's got to get involved with five to to eight targets, probably eight targets, at least five of them need to be catching. But the the slot receivers, it's going to really be up to what can DJ Matthews do? What can um, Treshawn Harrison do um, without trying to make Peter Ward type plays without being a Peter Ward type player? And really, can they get involved? Get the tight end involved in this game? But Terry's got to be able to take, got to be a threat, take top off of defense. Or Graham's just gonna blitz, blitz the hell out of FSU, and it's gonna be a, a very, very long night. Yeah, quickly on that part here, and I, you know, it goes back to the offensive line. You've already brought them up one time, but you know, going into the season, that was probably one of the biggest questions for Florida State because of the kind of the disaster it was last year. Uh, you mentioned the quarterbacks progressing kind of the season and not necessarily not seeing it. Have you seen this offensive line progress uh, much during the season as well? They're two. They're two all over the place. When they perform well, it's good. When they don't, they don't. And I think injuries and and youth. I do believe the future is bright, 
this is just not a good game for the future. So, like, that left side of the line with um, Washington, um, Dante Lucas, and with um, Baselli playing at center, I think that provides you security over there to that left side. The right side, I still have a fear. Like, we got some really friendly guys, and you guys got some killers on that, on that D-line um, with your transfers and, and, and just guys that you guys actually built up through the program. And we couldn't stop Miami. And Miami has good D-line as well, but I don't. I think Florida's D-line is much, much better coached, um, much more violent. And, again, with the, with the combination of bringing in blitzes, I don't think I think these guys are too young and not strong enough to be able to hold up for four quarters against Florida. Uh, how's how on the defensive side of the ball? Of course, losing Marvin Wilson. Uh, what's kind of been the, the the transition from losing him and, and kind of replacing his production? That uh, you know he was he was well on his way to having a pretty good season for the soul for the Knowles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've played with a broken hand before. Actually, I played with a broken hand against Florida before. And it's not fun. Um, the difference though is I don't like. The, I don't have to put my pressure. I didn't have to put pressure on, on the ground like that every time and affect my explosion or my get off like, like Marv does. But Durden and Cooper are both playing well at times. Um, Cooper is a guy who's a, a really big guy who and who's explosive. So when he fires off the ball, he can, he can be unblockable. Um, he's also hard to move. Um, the problem is sometimes, like, if he doesn't get pushed backwards, then he can have a presence, and that actually opens up things. Poor Durden, who's more of a three technique, more like Marvin, um, but, you know, kind of they kind of all rotate around there. Um, freshman Chu Thompson is going to get some reps. Um, he's He tries really hard. I think he's, at the, in, in five years, he'll be a really good player. He's one of those guys that's just going to go in there, do his job. But right now he's not. He hasn't. He doesn't have anything that really strikes you. So that interior, the interior which was better, with the best part of the um, defensive line, takes a huge blow with Marvin Wilson. Um, the only thing that kind of helps Florida is that, whatever. I mean, Florida State is that Florida doesn't like to run the ball, so that could help mm-hmm. um, ease some of the pain, or it can make the game longer because you're just going to light up our DBs. But when Cooper and Durden are doing well, they're getting a good push. And I will say where Franks or Emery would be better at is getting that rollout um, and being able to extend the play with that when that does happen. Um, Trash might make our ends play just a little bit better, but I'm not suggesting that we'll get a ton of sacks because that's just not what's happening this year. You know, stats aren't the whole story here. And kind of just looking at where teams rank uh, right now, I mean, I, I knew Florida State struggled in stopping the pass, but no, I, I didn't think they were 114th in the nation in pass defense. What's you know, and, and with the athletes that you can get in the state of Florida, I mean, what, what's the what, what's the issue there? Is it is it talent or is it more of a, a coaching problem or not getting pressure up front that kind of affects the secondary? I think all of that, um, but we'll go back to the the um, the coaching. Um, we coach a system that our guys just aren't aren't proficient um, and without going into I mean this is me asking questions I play offense so I don't I mean the defensive stuff I know how to stop the defense yeah. how to score them. not necessarily stop the defense how to score on the defense when it comes to the like the little I ask questions because I don't when I don't know the answers of guys who know more than me and it's not your traditional man coverage where you just you know you, you play press and you're going it's just whatever the saving 
kick slide method, which works when you have a bunch of disciplined players and you got guys who fully believe. But what I think is we don't have a bunch of guys who fully believe in the Harlem Barnett system. Rightfully so. It hasn't really worked for them. Um, they, and it, they don't bring enough pressure because linebackers don't know how to get into their fits. And so what I mean by that is so when you're bringing the blitz, there's got to be gaps, and your linebacker's got to be able to hit the gap. And our guys don't do that very well. You'll see guys in, in the same pair of britches or in the same gap, and now you leave a hole that's wide open for the quarterback to be able to step into and be able to throw it. It gives them more time. So the secondary is put on on the not only on an island, but they're put on an island that doesn't and they're not equipped with the adequate tools to be able to defend that. And I think that's where you've seen a lot of teams be able to to exploit. And there's a huge lack of communication. And the one thing they do, they they just don't trust each other. Uh, one thing that I saw, I think it was the Miami game when, when um, Sam Sanders got burnt or beat. It looks like he got beat. and he was, But maybe he was supposed to have safety help. But you see guys looking at each other, holding up hands while the, while the wide receiver is still running. They're not running to try to tackle the wide receiver. They're looking to who who is going to be able to blame. And, you know, that goes to what I feel the major problem of, of this tagger coach team, and it spills into the, to the last few years of the Jimbo. There's a lack of accountability and, and always pointing the finger and looking at whose fault it is as opposed to imposing your will and trying to beat and trying to just beat down the person in front. That's what good football teams have, and um, our guys haven't found it yet. Last question here, uh, James, and of course, you know, you do the sports den here in Jacksonville and on 1010XL 92.5, and you know, you have to talk Gators as well to, to appease the uh, Jacksonville crowd and the co-host Denny Thompson as well, you know, more of a Florida background. Uh, what's been your thoughts, man, of, of year two uh, for these Gators under Dan Mullen? Um, I, I've always thought that Dan Mullen was a good coach. I just knew, I, I didn't like him as a recruiter or a personality. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm wrong. Um, and, and I'm right, but I'm wrong. The best thing you can do when you're a CEO is, is hire guys who can, hide, who can hide your weakness and let you work on your strength. So what Mullen's done a really good job of is, is, is taking it. He hired a bunch of guys who can develop. And you brought in a decent class. To worry about the bigger classes later on. Let's get these guys and teach them how to win, teach them how to do what I want to do. And that first year was amazing, amazing turnaround. Now, a good friend of mine, John Heron, um, known as Hova to a lot of people, mm-hmm. always told me that the 4-7 and seven and the 4-8 and eight teams weren't bad teams. Yep, yep, told me the same thing. Yep. Got hit with a lot of injuries. And so it changed my mindset. So when Florida fans or, or FSU fans, would say, how are they turning from four and eight to this? I'm like, well, they were never bad. They just had a lot of injuries. They had talent. Uh, the talent was always there. It's just it wasn't able to. When you have a, when you have key injuries, it will um, affect you across the board. Or when you don't have a quarterback, like when you went through your Treon Harris years. But he found this quarterback. He developed the quarterback, gave the quarterback confidence with Felipe, and, again, continued to try to flip the room. Brought in Emory, um, brought in um, I forgot the young man got kicked out from yeah, Baltimore J- area. J- Jalen Jones, yeah, yeah, Jalen Jones brought in Jalen. So you brought in these guys, and 
the goal was to develop him, keep getting him better. He got a got a real good one out of Gainesville East Side with um um AR fifteen Richardson, Anthony Richardson. Um and then you just again got the he put a big focus on the offensive line. Um you he, he brought in I think he brought in five guys that first year. I'm a big proponent of winning in the trenches. Even if you don't play those guys, every year you should recruit four to six offensive linemen because attrition and competition breed the best offensive line. So he brought in enough linemen, um, won won some head-to-head recruiting battles, and then what he did was after these guys, after his developers served their purpose, they went on to do other things, and you bring in – some some better some better recruiters like the DB coach from Virginia Tech, real good in that Polk County area. Um, you know, it's just again so again bringing back Hova um, to help develop relationships and and you know flip coaches to start building that twenty one class twenty two class and really making the game an event and that's the scary part right now for any FSU fan is that you're going into a night game at Ben Hill Griffin with 100-plus recruits, a blackout. They're going to talk about the new football facility, and you're probably going to get a 40-burger put on you. You think the blackout rumors are true? <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, yeah, I'm not putting it. It could be, it could not be. I'm not predicting. Y'all's fan base kills me when I be making predictions, and I don't do it in spite Sometimes I'm right. I got good information. But I'm saying that Mullen can't win in in the um, living room, but what he can do is put on a show in his, which is the stadium. And to me, having been recruited, like, that's going to be dope. It's going to be packed out. I don't know if it's going to be sold out, but there'll be be enough people there to where the energy is going to be flowing. They got the facilities. They got some things that guys can really look into. You do a really good job from what I've seen of presenting different options and packages to these players. And you can make – and when both right, – well, really, you guys in Miami ain't really arrived with It's an in-state thing. Yeah. But when the two yeah. traditional powers in the state are down, this is really where he's got to be able to put his foot on the net. And I, and to me, I, I wouldn't – if 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 they don't if they only win by the spread, I'd be disappointed. If I was a Florida fan, I'm not saying you shouldn't be disappointed. You should be disappointed with a loss. What I mean is this is a good opportunity to like whatever momentum that Florida State may drop if they drop the um, coaching signing on that Sunday or Monday, you can still have everything be about you if you put up if you beat Florida State by thirty. If you just fully just outright dismantle. And I think they have the opportunity to do that. I, I think Mullen is cooking. Um, I was actually talking to a few recruits about um, the University of Florida and some of the things that they have moving forward, especially um, in the wide receiver position, because you guys have a void that's coming up. Mm-hmm. But, like, if you can do what you need to do what's necessary now, the next two cycles y'all should be able to bring in some really good talented receivers to see how that offense works because it looks fun. All right, that is James Coleman giving us a great look at the Florida State Seminoles and a little bit of his thoughts on the Gators as well. As I said, former fullback for the Seminoles, and you can find him on 1010XL, 92.5 on the Sports Den here in Jacksonville. James, man, can't thank you enough for all the insight, man. All right, man, appreciate you.
MyBookie is the place for you because they let you turn all your sports knowledge into cash in your wallet. Between football season, NBA, college basketball season, it's time to get off the sideline and get in on the action at MyBookie. Doesn't matter if you're an experienced player or a first-time customer, MyBookie welcomes all to come play. So quit waiting around and sign up today. This week only, MyBookie is offering a risk-free bet on the Bears-Lions game. Simply choose a team against the spread for up to $250. If you win, congrats. You have extra holiday spending money. If you lose, congratulations to you as well. MyBookie will give all your money back. It's a no-brainer because you literally cannot lose. No risk here in the Thanksgiving Day game between the Bears and the Lions. So right now, head to MyBookie and it'll also match your first deposit by 50% all the way up to $1,000. Use promo code GATERS to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie online today at M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E dot A-G. MyBookie dot A-G. And don't forget to use promo code GATERS when creating your account to claim the bonus. Bet. Win. Get paid at MyBookie. Here are a few things to look for when the Gators take the field in the 2019 regular season finale Saturday night in the Swamp, 7.30, against the Seminoles. And I think Florida's going to score some points. And if FSU wants to win this game or, or keep it close, they're going to have to score some points as well. The only way I see Florida State scoring is for running back Cam Akers and wide receiver uh, Tamari and Terry to, you know, to go off for the Seminoles. The Seminoles ranked first in the ACC and tied for third nationally with nine plays of 60-plus yards, partly because of these two players here. Uh, Akers is top 25 nationally in rushing touchdowns, rushing yards, rushing yards per game, all-purpose yards, scoring, um, total points scored, and total touchdowns. I mean, he's up there in a lot of categories uh, for the Seminoles. He's sixth in the nation with 17 total touchdowns, ninth in the nation in total points scored, also, 20th in the country at 104 yards per game uh, there. So, you know, and he's one of 10 players nationally with at least three touchdowns in three games in 2019. So, you know, overall, the FSU run game isn't strong at all, coming in at 95th in the country in rushing offense with 139.6 yards per game. But Akers still has that ability to, to break the game open. So, now Florida needs to continue the rush defense that we've seen since the Georgia game. The Gators have only given up an average of 74 rushing yards per game the last three games. After the LSU and South Carolina game where Florida was giving up well over 200 yards a game, only 74 the last three games. So Cam Akers is expected to be available after missing the Alabama State game, FSU's last game a couple weeks ago, uh, with an undisclosed injury. So it would be interesting if he's close to 100% there uh, for him coming up Saturday night. And to me, though, even more so, the player that Florida must stop is wide receiver Tamari and Terry. Plainly put, he is explosive. He's averaging an ACC high 20.3 yards per reception and an NCAA best 53.75 yards per touchdown. His touchdown catches of 9 yards, 36 yards, 44, 60, 64, 69, 74, and 75 yards in 2019. And according to uh, ESPN Stats and Info, uh, Terry's 53.75 yards per touchdown reception leads the nation among receivers with at least eight touchdowns. Five catches of at least 60 yards are tied for most in the country in 2019, and seven catches of at least 60 yards in the past two seasons are the most nationally in that span. So the last two years he's been putting up these type of numbers here. 
His five touchdown receptions of at least 60 yards are the second highest total in the NCAA since at least 2010. Only Bolitnikoff award winner and unanimous All-American D.D. Westbrook has had more as the Oklahoma receiver posted six in 2016. Terry's been very explosive these last two seasons, but he only had seven, or he only had three catches for 78 yards last season. So you have to think uh, FSU will try and force the ball to him uh, on Saturday. We'll see Henderson. We'll see Elam uh, matched up on him uh, as well. But he, you know, he can take a screen to distance. He can catch balls down the field. He's a complete receiver. Uh, but you know, we'll see. We'll have to ha- he'll have to have a quarterback get him the ball. Uh, and you heard James Coleman mention that he thinks that would be James Blackman lining up under center for the Knowles. They've been switching quarterbacks all season uh, for the first time in a few weeks, though. You know, both Alex Hornibrook and Blackman uh, are expected to be healthy and available. Uh, so, you know, Odell, uh, Odell Hagan says he, he wasn't ready to say who's going to be the starting quarterback. Quote earlier this week, we're going to find out who's playing the best in practice. That's who's going to play. Kendall Bryles and myself will get together and talk about the situation on the offense that we need to talk about. So, you know, Blackman, the redshirt sophomore, thrown for uh, 1,945 yards, 16 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, while Hornibrook, a fifth-year senior to transfer from Wisconsin, 986 yards, 7 touchdowns, and 2 interceptions. Uh, Red zone production. On both sides of the ball uh, are a strong suit for Florida State this season. FSU is 30 for 34 in red zone opportunities this year, scoring 25 touchdowns with five field goals. Uh, The Florida State 73.53 touchdown percentage in the red zone, ranked second in the ACC and 15th in FBS. They're scoring uh, about almost 74% touchdown uh, when they get into the red zone. So, you know, and moving to the other side of the ball, Florida State's defense has only allowed 26 touchdowns on 55 red zone attempts by opponents this season. Uh, Touchdown percentage of 47.27%. That ranks second lowest in the ACC and 11th best in the NCAA. So on both sides of the ball, Florida State's pretty strong in the red zone. So something to look out for there when Florida gets into the red zone and when FSU is getting into the red zone on offense as well. Uh, look for Kyle Trask to, I, I think, have another big day here. He's been hitting uh, on the big throws, averaging eight yards per pass with 21 touchdowns and six touch, uh, six interceptions. And the Florida passing game has hit at least 200-yard mark in every game with multiple touchdown passes in every game but one. Now, it gets to go against a FSU secondary that just isn't very good. Ranking 114th in the nation, giving up 274 yards per game. Now, Florida would be the best passing attack FSU's faced all season besides Clemson. Uh, FSU's coming off a game where they only produced two sacks versus Alabama State. So as long as Trask has time to throw, Florida will put up big points. Trask, he'll pick this zone defense apart. You know, surprisingly, FSU, even with the athletes they have, play a lot of zone defense. And uh, maybe because they, they kind of have to because we just where they rank at, uh, not very high in NCAA in NCAA in passing defense, but you know, playing his own defense. And uh, Kyle Trask, if he has time, he'll pick that apart all day long. Uh, the player to watch for uh, Florida State's defense is junior safety uh, Hamsa Nasruddin. Continues to be one of the top tackling defensive backs in the country. Uh, earned his third ACC defensive back player of the week honors versus Alabama State in their last game. Led 11, had 11 tackles uh, and had a pick six, uh, 80-yard pick six as well. He's the, it was the first defensive touchdown of his career and the first for Florida State in 2019. So 
took, uh, you know, just like Florida, it took Florida State a while to get a defensive touchdown you know, late in the season when uh, Jonathan Grenard had one uh, on the Diabate sack fumble versus Vanderbilt. So, uh, Nasrul Dean also earned defensive back of the week honors uh, after notching 22 tackles at Boston College in the game before last. Uh, that's the most for a Seminole player since 1968. So, Nasrul Dean, definitely the player to key in on uh, when the Seminoles are on defense. So, all right, when that's said and done, Saturday night, I just I see a big victory for the Gators. I, I don't see FSU being able to hang. I see a 38-13 to victory for the Gators. I think this team rides the emotion of senior night early on and jumps out to a big lead and, and never looks back. Uh, with the help of a, of a night game crowd, the defensive front for the Gators will dominate all night long. FSU will hit a big player, too, because let's be honest, that just kind of happens with a Todd Grantham defense. But it will be a dominating performance most of the night. Trask and these wide receivers will have a big day, much like last year. Uh, these wide receivers will score on some big plays. And you might even see seniors Jefferson, Swain, Hammond, Cleveland with a touchdown each. I mean, that would be pretty cool for these guys to go out. And as much as I think Florida can pass the ball in FSU, you, know, you don't want to force the situation, but it would be cool for these seniors to get a, a touchdown each in the last game in the swap. There, you know, Florida will get, and when it's all said and done, as I said, Florida will get their 10th win of the season, and we'll be celebrating Florida getting that 10th win of the season over the hated rivals, FSU, when it's all said and done on Saturday night. Um, so, yeah, let's take a look around the SEC one final time for, for the regular season. Uh, of course, on Thanksgiving night, we'll have Ole Miss and Mississippi State at 7.30. Then on Friday, Missouri and Arkansas at 2.30. And at noon, we'll have on noon on Saturday, Georgia and Georgia Tech, Louisville and Kentucky, Clemson and South Carolina, all those games at noon. So if you're tailgating or at home, you'll be able to see uh, all those teams play their rivals at noon. That's Georgia, Georgia Tech, Louisville and Kentucky, Clemson, South Carolina, at 3.30, the Iron Bowl, Alabama and Auburn. See if Alabama can continue to, to win and put themselves in the college football playoff discussion. 4 o'clock, Vanderbilt and Tennessee. We'll see if Tennessee can keep their win streak going uh, here in their late season surge. 7 o'clock, Texas A&M and LSU. And at 7.30, of course, Florida and Florida State to wrap up the Gators season. Oh, it goes by way too fast. Way, way, way too fast. Um Everybody, thanks for joining me here on this episode. You could probably hear it. I'm a, I'm a little under the weather. Probably can hear it with the sniffles and uh, the stuffy nose and all that stuff. Hopefully be better by Saturday. I'm sure I will be. You know, even if I'm not, if I'm not too contagious, I'll be there in, in Gainesville. Yeah, anyway, uh, hopefully I'll have a voice uh, on, on Saturday. I'll be, I'll be yelling just like you guys will, uh, ready for this game and beat the hated Seminoles to end the 2019 season. Thanks to James Coleman from the Sports Den for joining me here to preview the Florida State Seminoles. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.